thanks for checking out Covenant's podcast. Our prayer is that God uses this message to impact your life. Uncommon. That is our series, and it's such an honor for me to take part and bring you this message from the Word of God today. So as I stand here on this spot, I'm reminded of a time just a few weeks ago when I was standing on the first tee of a local golf course preparing to play an early season round of golf. And I was with Rob Bloss, our executive pastor, Mary Elzinga, director of women's ministry, and my wife. And we were all standing there on the first tee making excuses for how badly we were about to play because that's what golfers do. And... Rob said it was his first time out this year, and Mary was complaining about her knee, and my wife reminded us that she was still a beginner, and I simply said, I'm a bad golfer. (laughs) Well, so as I stand here on this spot, I'm thinking about how it's been more than two years since I've preached a sermon from here or anywhere else. So if I slice this one into the woods, you'll understand why. Enough excuse-making. Let's talk about uncommon truth. One of my favorite movies of all time is A Few Good Men. It's a story about two young Marines who are accused of murdering one of their platoon mates while serving on duty at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. They are defended in court by a Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, played by Tom Cruise. And while they're investigating the case, beyond the obvious facts they discover that the two Marines were acting in compliance with an order issued by base commander Nathan, Colonel Nathan Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson. So it turns out the young men were framed. They were set up. They were simply following orders. Well, when the, fa- when the case comes to trial, Lieutenant Caffey decides to call Colonel Jessup to the witness stand, despite the fact that if things went wrong, it could ruin his legal career and even put him in jail because he would be impugning the impeccable character of a politically connected military officer. But nevertheless, he decides to go for it. In one of the most poignant moments in the history of cinema, we have this exchange where Lieutenant Caffey feels as though he has the colonel cornered in a contradiction, and so he roars at him, I want the truth! To which the colonel famously replied, You can't handle the truth! That's where I want to begin today, with the question, Can you handle the truth? Can you hear, receive, accept and respond to the uncommon truth of God. We are in a series called Uncommon. We just began that series. And it's a series intended to put on public display all the many great and wonderful and extraordinary and stupendous and amazing and weirdly wonderful benefits that Jesus provides to those who believe in him and follow him. Josh got us off to such a great start last week in Uncommon Identity, where we discovered that through a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a fundamental change in who we are. And now building on that, I want to talk to you this morning about Uncommon Truth, 
about a truth that is unlike any other truth in the universe, uncommon. When I was first given this topic a few months ago, I immediately thought of the Gospel of John. Why John? Because John was one of the closest followers of Jesus. He was one of the original 12 disciples. He is the author of the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, his account of the life of Jesus. John also wrote three other shorter books in the New Testament. They're called epistles, found toward the end of the Bible, John 1, 2, and 3. A total of 28 chapters he composed. And in those 28 chapters, John uses the Greek word for truth, or eletheia, 34 times. 25 times in the gospel alone. More than one use of the word truth per chapter. And doesn't it seem clear to you that John loved the uncommon truth, and he wants us to love it too. John's love for the truth is further demonstrated by how he provides for us some of the most memorable statements of Jesus concerning truth, such as that in John chapter 4, where Jesus said, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then there's John chapter 8, where Jesus famously says, Then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And then perhaps most notable of all, from John 14, I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But for the purposes of this message today, I chose John's first use of the word truth from the very first chapter. And it's from these verses that we'll learn why the truth that John declares is not just uncommon, it is incomparable. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And then our key verse for today, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the, only, the one and only Son, 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So today, as you think about whether you can handle the truth, I want to share with you three characteristics of common, uncommon truth that we find in this passage. Beginning with number one, uncommon truth is alien truth. Now, I know that sounds weird. It sounds as though I'm suggesting that truth comes to us with little green men who arrive in flying saucers. That Bruce has gone out of his mind. He's gone crazy. That somehow truth comes from God through E.T. I need to phone home. But the reason I chose that word alien is to catch your attention so that I can point out something really important about the truth that God reveals to us. Because it's appropriate for us to say that uncommon truth is alien truth. And we see this from the very first verse of John's Gospel, where he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Ancient Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and, and um, Socrates debated about the origin of truth. They believed that there was truth in nature, that there was truth around and above nature, that somehow it needed to be discovered and uncovered, but it was surely there and it was universal and it was unchangeable. So they had long debates about it, and they wrote lengthy dissertations about it. We might say that the Greek philosophers spent their entire lives searching for the truth, but they never really found it. And so that truth, that search for truth, continues to this very day. But then along comes John, not a philosopher, but a fisherman, a fisherman, who declares that truth comes from God, that it's not of this world, but it is from out of this world. It is alien truth. The Greek philosophers referred to the truth as the word or the logos. That's the very same word that John uses in this verse. So we, if we do a little exchange here and we trade out the word truth for word, here's what that verse would sound like. In the beginning was the truth. And the truth was with God, and the truth was God. One of the fundamental propositions of historic biblical Christianity is that true truth is God's truth. All truth, anything that's true, is of God, because God is true. Truth is objective, it is absolute meaning that the truth about God is true whether you know it, believe it, or not. It's true. It's like gravity. You may say you don't believe in gravity because you, don't, you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, smell it, or taste it. So you don't believe in gravity. But if you jump off a tall building, gravity will have its effect on you, whether you know it or acknowledge it. And the same is true for the truth of God. All of us are constantly living under the influence and the effect of God's truth, even when we don't know it or acknowledge it. Because this uncommon truth of God is, is embedded in the very being and existence of God himself. It is an alien truth. But the second characteristic of this uncommon truth is found in a connection between verse 1 of our passage and verse 14. 
And it teaches us that uncommon truth is incarnate truth. Now let's think for a minute about all the different ways that God might have revealed himself to us. Because if there is a God and he wishes to reveal himself to us, he can do that in any way he wishes, don't you think? And there must be, must be millions of ways that God might do that. He might, for example, lower down an entire encyclopedic library of theological ideas upon us that would take us an entire lifetime to read and digest but he didn't choose to do that. Or he might hire those airplanes we see at the Jersey Shore going back and forth pulling messages one after the other, God revealing his truth, and our necks get tired watching this display. Or maybe God would send us a link to a divine database of truth that we could download on our computer, but it would never get downloaded on my slow router. Dozens and dozens of ways that God might have communicated his truth to us, but he uses none of these. Instead, God chooses to reveal his uncommon truth to us in an intensely personal and immensely relational and utterly relevant way. The Father sends his Son, Jesus Christ, to become a real human being to live his life among us in an ordinary way. John opens by saying that this word, this logos, this truth was with God and was God. And then in verse 14, he reveals something that would blow the smocks off the ancient Greek philosophers and should blow us away as well if we grasp its meaning. For he writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the one and only Son sent by the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, this is breaking news, men and women. We interrupt this program to bring you this special report. The Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, the only truly authentic and honest being in the universe, has put on flesh and blood, skin and bones, and become a divine human being. In, first, in John 14, 6, Jesus says of himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Scripture and for John, the truth is not an, a cold, distant, abstract set of ideas, principles, and propositions to be eternally debated in a classroom. And Jesus doesn't just deliver the truth to us like a mailman delivers mail. Jesus doesn't just speak the truth to us as the most honest person who ever lived, though he was. But rather, Jesus is the truth in human form, in karnos, meaning in the flesh, uncommon truth becomes incarnate truth. That brings us then to the third characteristic of truth. We've so far learned that uncommon truth is alien truth. Uncommon truth is incarnate truth. And now I want to show you how uncommon truth is gracious truth. There are some things that just seem to go together, like salt and pepper, like cream and sugar, 
like cheese and crackers, like ice cream and pie. And my favorite, ketchup on scrambled eggs. I mean, they're just things that go together if you're in Philadelphia. The same could be said of the grace and the truth of God. They are perfect complements to one another. They're like two sides to the same coin. They, they are inseparable realities. John writes in verse 14, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. In all his fullness, he brings them to bear upon our lives. From this point forward, we should never view God's truth except through the lens of God's grace. And we should never view God's grace except through the lens of God's truth. They exist in perfect balance and harmony with one another. And for really good reason. I'm sure you've heard the expression, the truth hurts. I learned this week that there's a rap song by Lizzo called Truth Hurts. I read the words. You don't want to hear them, especially in church. But we all understand the idea that the truth can be hard to hear. We're downsizing and we're going to have to let you go. Or if I were you, I wouldn't, wouldn't quit your my day job because you're just not cut out for American Idol. Or, or my favorite, I'm sorry, ladies, if you didn't receive a rose, it's time to say your goodbyes. So the truth can be hard to hear, and that same can be true for the uncommon truth of God. That it includes good news and bad news, and the bad news can be difficult. It can hurt. Even in the very first few verses of John's gospel, he begins to declare the truth about our human condition. And he begins to describe our human condition in terms of darkness, of ignorance, of rejection, of rebellion. And this can be hard to hear. Verses 9 and 10. The true light, Jesus, came into the world, but the world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And the gospel of John goes on to tell us the story of how Jesus was criticized, ostracized. He was arrested. He was tried. He was beaten. He was crucified by the very people he came to save. And the difficult, hard, and hurtful news is that we are so deeply flawed by our sins that we can contribute nothing toward our own salvation. That is the truth of God. But it's not the whole story. Where there is truth, there is grace. One of the unofficial mottos of Covenant Church is that we are deeply flawed and yet more deeply loved. Deeply flawed, but more deeply loved. It's the goodness and kindness and love of God that gives us the courage and boldness to face up to the fact of who we are before our holy, holy, holy God. Sinners in need of a Savior. 
You don't really get the good news until you understand the bad news. You can't handle the truth without the help of God's grace concerning our salvation. Now, I know that some of you have heard this before, but for the, for the sake of those who haven't, there's a way of understanding the grace of God through an acrostic based on the word grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. So what are God's riches? Forgiveness of sin. Assurance of salvation. Adoption into the family. A new meaning, a new purpose. An uncommon identity. At Christ's expense, Jesus paid it all. Jesus died on the cross in payment for our sin. Jesus died the death that we deserved so that we might live a life we don't deserve. That is the good news of God. God's truth and God's grace on the cross of Christ. Now I began this morning by asking you the question, can you handle the truth? Are you able to hear and accept, receive and respond to the uncommon truth of God as it's revealed to us through Jesus? We've learned that uncommon truth is alien truth. It comes to us from God out of this world. But, incarnate tr- but, in, uh, but uncommon truth is also incarnate truth. It's not just an abstract idea. It is rather a real, living, breathing, human, but divine person in Jesus. And uncommon truth is gracious truth, truth that gives us courage and boldness to face the reality of who we are. So I want to end by giving you three ways that you can handle the truth with the help of God's grace. Beginning with number one. First, you can handle uncommon truth unto salvation. The first and most important way that any of us can handle God's truth is by receiving Jesus Christ and the salvation he purchased for us on the cross. No one is born a Christian. That is that no one is a Christian simply because they were born and raised in a church-going and Christian family. It's been said uh, Being born in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a barn makes you a cow. It doesn't make any sense, right? Or being born in a garage makes you a car. Being born in church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is by believing and receiving Jesus Christ. That's what John says in verse 12. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name... He gave the right to become children of God. John makes it clear that each of us must personally and individually and intentionally believe and receive Jesus Christ for salvation. When you surrender your heart and life to Jesus in this way, you become a child of God and you receive the fullness of Christ's truth and grace. Tim Keller is the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Under his leadership, the church grew to more than 5,000 in attendance, worshiping in five different locations throughout the city. Redeemer Church also contributed greatly to a national and global church planting movement. 
Yet despite his success in ministry, Dr. Keller has not been immune to setback and suffering. About a year ago, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he learned through the diagnosis that on average, people who are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer survive less than one year beyond that diagnosis. In a podcast interview recently, Tim said that he had written another book, perhaps his last, and he entitled that book, Hope in Times of Fear. And in, that, in it, he speaks about his absolute confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the face of the devastating news of his cancer. And he admits that he doesn't understand how anybody could face death and sickness and cancer without faith in Jesus. Because he said that the fact, the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gives him hope in times of fear. And it can give you hope too. So if you've never done so, I would invite you, I would urge you to receive Jesus Christ's salvation today. You can handle the truth. Secondly, you can handle the truth for transformation. That's one of our core values here at Covenant Church. Transformational. We believe that the gospel changes us from the inside out. In John 8.32, as we've heard, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus doesn't want to just save us and leave us like abandoned babies on the doorstep of the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to transform us, making us the kind of people he wants us to be. People who are filled with grace and filled with truth as he is. And so knowing the truth, knowing Jesus, frees you from guilt and shame and death. Knowing the truth, knowing Jesus, frees you from soul-killing addictions and relationship-killing habits. Let me share with you one way that this works its way out in my life. Like I said, the truth can be hard to hear, and that's as true for me as it might be for you. But by God's grace, I'm able to handle it. So I, I've learned that I can be a selfish, insensitive jerk. There, I've said it. It's out. I can be a selfish, insensitive jerk. And these self-centered ways can be very harmful to the people around me. Take Easter Sunday, for example. My wife, Debbie, and I invited our daughter, our son-in-law, and their family over to our house for a nice holiday meal. And I had a wonderful day. I wrestled with my grandboys. I watched a little golf on TV. We played bocce ball out on the lawn. And when we came back in, it was like magic. Everything was done. The food had been cooked. The table was set. The ham was cut. Everything was perfect. All I had to do was come in, sit down, and say a prayer of thanks to God for his goodness. And never did I acknowledge or recognize that my wonderful wife had done all the work without any expectation of thanks and without any offer of help from me. So you see, I can be a, a selfish, insensitive jerk. I sometimes think that my sins of omission are worse than my sins of commission. You know what that means? The things I fail to do are what are most hurtful in my life, not the things I tend to do. 
But I like to think of myself as a recovering jerk. Because by God's grace, I'm not as big a jerk as I used to be. That's transformation, people. That is the grace of God at work in me, making me more and more like the standard of truth that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. And so you can handle the truth unto your own personal transformations. And then thirdly and finally, you can handle the truth in communion. Today we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, or what's called Holy Communion. This is a time when believers in Jesus remind themselves of the great price He paid to purchase them from their sins and for salvation. It's a time when Christians are renewed in the uncommon truth and uncommon grace of the gospel. But for our purposes today, in the Lord's Supper, we literally get to see, hear, touch, taste, and smell the gospel in a three-dimensional, five-sensorial way. For in the Lord's Supper, we get to handle the truth. Or perhaps we should say, we handle the symbols of the truth. For the bread represents Jesus' broken body. The cup represents Jesus' shed blood. And when you take these elements in your hand, when you take them, when you eat them, when you drink them, you remind yourself and all those around you of the uncommon, alien, incarnate, gracious truth of Jesus. So we began with the question, can you handle the truth? And now we have our answer. By God's grace, yes, you can. Let us pray. Almighty God and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your own, only, precious Son, Jesus, to become a man, to live his life among us, but most especially for his, his willingness to suffer on the cross in our place. He died the death that we deserve so that we might live a life we don't. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. And we ask you that in this moment of communion, holy communion, you would reveal yourself in a fresh new way in all your uncommon truth and grace. Fill our hearts with deep, deep thanks for who you are and what you have done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you take the elements in your hand, you can see them, you can feel them. We're about to taste them and smell them. All senses are engaged in this moment of remembrance. The Lord's Supper is for the Lord's people, meaning if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have received Christ for your salvation, then you are invited to join us here and now. But if you haven't done that, if you're not ready to do that, if you're still thinking about whether you want to become a Christian, then we encourage you not to take the Lord's Supper, but rather reflect upon who Jesus is. Receive Him. 
which for those of you who believe, hear these words from Scripture, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many to take your sins away. All of you drink of it. Let's together receive the bread and the cup, the body and blood of Christ.